All right, turn your Bibles again to Matthew chapter 19, please. Matthew 19. The higher ground that we're saying about is a place of obedience, of trust, dependence upon the Lord. I pray that's always our desire, the place we should be in our walk and relationship with him. Matthew chapter 19, again, page 1372 for those using a church Bible. And I do want to encourage you, if you're here today without a Bible, there should be one in front of you in the rack of the seat in front of you that you can borrow for this service this morning. We are continuing our study on the truth about marriage and divorce. This is part two. And uh, my desire as the pastor that you might understand what the Bible says, what God says about these issues of life. There are so many differences of opinion out there, even among God's people about marriage and divorce. And probably right here in this sanctuary, there's difference of opinion. And But hopefully it's your desire that your desire is to do what God says concerning this. I think I shared with you last week, I found from my experience as a pastor that to most Christians, divorce is situational theology based upon their situation in life. They have a good marriage, they're happy and everything's going well. They don't believe in divorce, but if they're not happy and things are going wrong, miserable, then divorce becomes an option. How about you? Do you believe in divorce? If so, what reason? So this morning I talked about this last Sunday. I had an individual after the service come to me and said, Pastor, I am divorced and I'm remarried, and I realized from God's word I did not get a biblical divorce. It was not according to the Bible. And you may find yourself in that situation this morning. And so I think what God would have you to do, please listen, no matter what situation you're in, whether you're single engaged, married, divorced, or ma- divorced and remarried, that you'll take from this day forward the purpose to establish a Bible standard for your home, for your marriage. You can't undo what's been done. You can't change the past. But you can purpose from now on that I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm going to do what God says concerning my marriage and seek to honor him. I pray that's what your desire is and what God would have you to do. So let's review from last week what we covered, and then we'll take up where we left off in Matthew chapter 19. Back up in verse 3, please. Matthew 19, verse 3. The Pharisees also came unto him, talking about Christ, tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? The word put away means divorce. The Pharisees came to Christ to try to cause division, try to have people turn against him. And they knew that among the Jewish people, there were two main views of divorce. One of them was you can divorce your spouse for any reason. You're not happy. You don't like the one you're married to. Divorce them. The other view was more conservative. It was the view that only the only grounds for divorce is adultery. So probably within the crowd that Jesus was speaking to, there were different views. And they wanted Jesus to take a stand on one of those views so half the crowd would turn against him. And so they asked, is it lawful for man to put away his wife for every cause? Read verse 4, please. Notice his response. And he answered and said unto them, have you not what? Boy, that should be the response of every Christian. When someone asks you a question concerning the things of life, especially that of marriage, you ought to say, here's what the Bible says. Because we all have our opinions, and they all differ. But the author of Jesus went to the Bible, went back to the original intent of marriage, back to Genesis. He says, have you not read? Read on. 
Have you not read, it goes on to say, that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, verse 5, and said, for this call shall a man leave father and mother and cleave, shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. What he's saying here, God established marriage. He instituted marriage. And his plan originally was one man, one woman for life. That wedlock is a padlock without a key. That was what he was teaching here. What God's joined together, let not man put asunder. Now, they want to use scripture themselves. And so they quote from the book of Deuteronomy of, of Moses. They thought what Jesus was teaching was contrary to what Moses taught. So look what they did in verse 7. They said unto him, why did Moses then command to give him a right in divorcement and to put her away to divorce her? Verse 8, he saith unto him, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart suffered you, allowed you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Then he goes in verse 9. That's where we left off. You take your notes out, please. We're going to learn three things this morning concerning marriage and divorce. Look at Jesus' teaching on divorce. Look at Paul's instruction on marriage. Then I want to give you reasons why a born-again believer should never seek a divorce. So let's begin with Jesus' teaching on divorce. We covered this last week. We'll continue on. Verse 9, please. First of all, Jesus' teaching, he gave only one acceptable ground for divorce. Verse 9. He said, and I say unto you, whosoever shall put away, that again, that's the word divorce, put away his wife, except, except it be for fornication, that means immorality, including adultery, sexual immorality, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away, doth commit adultery. So the only grounds that Jesus gave for divorce was fornication, sexual immorality. And this was given to the Jew, not to the Gentile. Because the same scenario recording of the same account was given in Mark and Luke. And in those two accounts, he left out the exception. I believe the verse is on the screen. So one exception given to the Jew. Number two, no exception given to the Gentile. Look at Mark 10. I believe the verse is on the screen. He said, this is Mark's account. Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. Notice what's left out. There was no exception. He gave an exception to the Jew, but not to the Gentile. Matthew was written to the Jew. Mark and Luke was written to the, the same verse in Luke 16. He said the same thing, no exception. And we covered why last week. The reason why is because the difference in the wedding ceremony of a Jewish person and a Gentile. The Jewish ceremony had three parts. It had a betrothal period. It had the wedding ceremony and the consummation by the physical act. The betrothal period usually lasted one year. And during that year, basically, the parents of two young people would come together and say, my son wants to marry your daughter, and we want to see if you're in agreement with it. They said, yes. So sometimes they would, they would pay money. Sometimes they uh, pass uh, land or animals in the process. And so once the agreement was made between the parents, 
they were legally married. And during that one-year period, the groom lived with his parents, the bride lived with her parents. And the purpose of that, the, the groom would be getting ready for the marriage. He would go back home, either build a house, buy a house, prepare himself for the marriage, bring his wife home with him. And so after the period of one year, that was called the betrothal period. At the end of the betrothal period, he'd get a processional from his family and go a march to the home of the bride's family and there have a wedding ceremony which sometimes would take over a week long. Celebrate the wedding. Then after that, they would consummate the act, the marriage by the sexual act. And so, but to the Gentile, there was no betrothal. When you and I got married, we were married when we said, I do. There was no one-year period before that. There was no betrothal period. It consisted of the I do. Then after that, if it's according to God's way, it was the consummation by the sexual act. Now, it was during that betrothal period that Jesus said there was a right to divorce. He said, Pastor, is there a count of that in Scripture? Yes, there is. Do not turn there. Just go through it quickly. In the book of Matthew chapter 1, a young man was married to a young woman during the betrothal period and found that she was with a child. And he was minded to put her away, divorce her privately. But an angel appeared in him and said, Joseph, fear not, take unto thee, marry thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Notice, thy wife. They, they were legally married, though they did not live together. So he was going to fulfill what Christ said, divorce her during that betrothal period. Now, if immorality happened after the consummation of the physical act, what was the penalty? It was death, stoning, according to the Mosaic law. So to the Gentile, to the Jew, there was an exception during the betrothal period. To the Gentile, there was no exception. Now, notice how the apostles responded to this. Look in verse 10. In other words, a difficult position to accept. Verse 10, his disciples saith unto him, If the case of a man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. They realized what he was saying is one man, one woman for life. If that's the case, maybe we shouldn't even get married. No doubt he was talking about the permanency of marriage. And they responded in kind. If that's the case... Uh, no, maybe it's good not even to get married. And so that phrase, not to get married, Jesus said, that's not for all men. Most men want to get married and have a wife and family. That's natural. The idea of not to get married because it's a permanent thing is not acceptable. Verse 11, he says this, and he said unto them, all men cannot receive this saying, the saying that it's good not to marry. Then he gives us reasons why some do not marry. They're called eunuchs in verse 11. He said, all men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. Verse 12. For there are some eunuchs. Now, what is a eunuch for any further? A eunuch is a person who has no desire for marriage, has no desire for uh, sexual relations. He said, for there are some eunuchs which are born that way from the mother's womb. And there are some eunuchs that were made eunuchs from men. Daniel, the Old Testament, was a eunuch made that way by men. There are others that accounts that in scripture, but he goes on to say, and there'll be some eunuchs, be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Basically, there are some that choose to live the life of a eunuch for the kingdom of God's sake. 
basically what they're saying, I, don't, I want to give myself fully and totally to serve the Lord. I realize if I get married, much of my life has to deal, taking care of my wife, take care of my husband. I want to give myself totally to the Lord. So they choose the life of the eunuch. So here are people, some reason why some do not marry. But Jesus' teaching on marriage, we see there. Number two, now look at the Apostle Paul's instruction on marriage. The Apostle Paul's instruction on marriage. Go with me now, if we would please, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, page 1608. Here's the Apostle Paul's instruction. And when you find it, look at me, please. The Apostle Paul will use the phrase twice. Let me explain it to you before we read it. Look up here, please, when you find 1 Corinthians chapter 7. His first phrase, he says, this is uh, not I, but the Lord speaking. The second time, he says, not the Lord speaking, but I. What he meant by that, he said, well, I'm going to share with you the Lord speaking. The Lord already spoke about this. He said this when he was here in his ministry and also the Old Testament. But he goes and say, but now I want to say what I'm going to say and not the Lord. He's given us new revelation. Something about marriage was not in the Old Testament. Something not given to us by Christ, though it was of the Lord. Under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he wrote something that's not mentioned before this. We're going to look at that together. So first of all, here's Paul's instruction on marriage. Number, letter A, marriage. He speaks about marriage between believers. Marriage between believers. Speaking to believers that are married, he says, do not divorce your spouse. Verse 10. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10. And unto the married, I command you, yet not I, but the Lord. In other words, the Lord already spoke about this. The Lord said, what God joined together, let not man put asunder. He said, let not the wife depart from her husband, latter part of verse 11, and let not the husband put away his wife. So to the Christians, the two believers that are married together, he said, do not divorce your spouse. Then he goes on to say, if divorce... Remain unmarried or be reconciled. Look in verse 11a. Verse 11. But if she depart, means she divorces, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. Otherwise, he's going exactly what Christ said. What God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. That was taught from the beginning, taught by Christ himself in Matthew and said here too. Then he goes on to talk about the marriage between a believer and an unbeliever. The marriage between a believer and an unbeliever. Look in verse 12. It says, the believing spouse should seek to make that marriage succeed. The believing spouse who is married to an unbeliever should seek to make that marriage succeed. Verse 12. But to the rest speak I and not the Lord. In other words, the Lord never spoke about this. It's not mentioned in the Old Testament or in the Gospels. It's something new. However, listen to me, it's just as binding, just as true, because it is God's word. Remember, he said this under inspiration of the Spirit of God. Though Christ never spoke about this, I'm sharing it with you under the Spirit of God. He says, But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. Verse 13, if a woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. So if you're saved, a couple that's saved, he said don't seek divorce. If you're divorced, either remain unmarried or reconciled. If you're married to an unbeliever, 
He said, don't uh, divorce that person. Seek to make it work. Why? He gives us two reasons why. The first one, the unsaved spouse and children receive God's blessing because of the presence of a believer. The unsaved spouse both the, and children receive God's blessing because of the presence of the believer. Verse 14. It said, for the unbelieving husband, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the what? What does that mean? So if you're here today and you're saved, but you're married to an unbeliever, God said, do anything you can to make the marriage work. Because your unbelieving spouse is sanctified. What he means by that is this. It means that the unsaved partner is set apart for temporal blessings because of the other partner belongs to God. One Christian in a marriage brings grace that spills over on the spouse. Think of Joseph and Potiphar. The Bible said God blessed the house of Potiphar for whose sake? Joseph's sake. And many times the unbelieving spouse will receive blessings of God for the, uh, uh, the spouse's sake who is saved. So the, the unbelieving spouse is sanctified. Then he goes on to say, else were your children unclean, but now they are clean. What he means by that is this. The Christian spouse need not separate from the unbeliever because the fear of the unbelieving spouse may defile the children. God promises the opposite. They would be unclean if both parents were unsaved. But the presence of one believing parent exposes the children to the blessings of God and his protection. The presence of even one Christian parent will protect children from undue spiritual harm and they may receive many blessings. So what he's saying, Christian, if you're married to an unbeliever, don't seek divorce. Do everything to make it work. And the reason why is your husband who may be unsaved and the children may be unsaved will experience God's blessing. And the second reason to make it work, the unsaved are more likely to come to Christ. The unsaved are more likely to come to Christ. Look in verse 16. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or, or how knowest thou, man, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? Now, the husband doesn't save his wife. God does. What he was saying here, your influence as a believer in that home, there's more of a chance that unbelieving spouse might come to Christ if you stick it out. But if you leave, that chance is gone. And so he says, stick it out because they receive blessings because of your presence. Also, there may be an opportunity for them to come to Christ. But he goes on to say, however, if the unbelieving spouse leaves, let him go. If the unbelieving spouse leaves, even though you've tried everything you can to make it work, let him go. Verse 15. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother and sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. So that is Paul's instruction. So we saw Jesus' teaching on divorce. We saw Paul's instruction on marriage. Now, just look at, let me give you some reasons. I hope you pay attention, if you haven't already, to these specifically. Reasons why a believer should never seek a divorce. If you're saved and you're in a marriage, you ought to do everything you can to make that work and give you reasons why you should never divorce. When I counsel a young couple, one of the first things I say when I sit down with them, I say, listen, take the word divorce and throw it out of your vocabulary. It should never be an option, never be considered. And when you get married, you get married for life. And that's what Christ taught. 
That's what it's back in the original in the book of Genesis. That's the purpose. That wedlock is a padlock without a key. And I had one person tell me when uh, I was going to marry them, they asked for the, the wedding uh, ceremony. Like I got it right here, the vows that are made. And they saw the point in the vows that says, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, until death do we part. I said, I want that out of there. I'm not going to get married to that. I said, well, you're looking for the wrong person to marry you. So that's what the Bible says. And so they went someplace else. And by the way, they got married and ended up getting divorced. <laughs> but they didn't want that. They didn't like the idea that I'm going to commit myself to death do we part. And that's biblical. And so the first reason why a believer should never seek divorce is marriage is an unconditional covenant. Marriage is an unconditional covenant. Look with me in Malachi chapter 2. It said, Pastor, I never heard of Malachi. Let's don't find it. <laughs> Malachi chapter 2, page 1336, if you're using a church Bible. The last book of the Old Testament right before Matthew. You find Matthew right before that is a small book called Malachi. Chapter 2, please. We'll see the Bible refers to marriage as a covenant. An unconditional covenant. Malachi 2.14. And look what it says here. The context here, the Jewish men were divorcing their wives. And here... Malachi is trying to deal with that. You can read the context, get a chance. But he says in verse 14, they were not, God was not receiving their offerings because of their uh, behavior towards their spouse. He says, and yet you say, wherefore, why? He says, because, that, because the Lord hath been a witness between the wife of, between thee and the wife of thy youth against whom thou hast dealt treacherously Yet she is thy companion and the wife of thy what? Covenant. Notice it begins with, when you got married, somebody was watching. Someone was a witness. And who was that? God. In a marriage ceremony, three people are involved. The husband, the wife, and God. And it began to say God was a witness there, uh, there in your, uh, your marriage ceremony, that she is thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. Now, listen carefully, please. Marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. You say, what's the difference? Interesting. Uh, there is a website called um, Got Questions. It's a biblical website. If you've got any biblical questions, you can go on there, and it does a pretty good job in most cases to give biblical answers to questions. So I went on there and said, what's the difference between a contract and a covenant? And here's what it said. The definition of a contract a contract is a rather modern legal concept. It is legally binding agreement to do or not to do something. It often includes penalties for a breach of contract. If the contract is breached and penalties are paid, then the payment is considered to be adequate compensation for the breach of contract. There is not necessarily any moral failing involved in the breach. If a person breaches the contract and willingly pays the penalties, this is not seen as, as a moral failing because the contract assumes possibility of a breach. Then it gives the definition of a covenant. A covenant is an ancient concept wherein two parties promise to do something or not to do something. Because of the fallen nature of humanity, the covenant may include penalties for breaking the covenant. But unlike a contract, 
it is considered immoral to break the covenant. It is a betrayal of trust. There is never a sense in which it is morally upright for a person to break a covenant, even if the covenant breaker is willing to pay the penalties. Then it goes on to say, Biblically speaking, marriage is not a contract, but a covenant between two people with God and the rest of the community as witnesses. One should not enter marriage with an eye to, to what will happen if the marriage is dissolved. Marriage is meant to be for life. And there's always a moral component uh, and moral failing by one of both parties if the marriage fails. Then it goes on to say, God is a covenant-keeping God, and Christians should be covenant-keeping people. We should honor our word and keep our promises even when there's not an official contract in place. What it's talking about, the permanence in marriage. Your marriage, Christian, was not a contract. It was a covenant you made with your spouse and with God Almighty, and God holds you to that. Next, the second reason why you should not uh, seek a divorce. Divorce is a sign of a hardened heart. Divorce is a sign of a hardened heart. Remember the conversation in Matthew 19 between Jesus and the Pharisees? And the Pharisees brought forth what Moses said. And he said in verse 7, don't need to turn there, I'll read it to you because we read it already, Matthew 19, 7. And they, the Pharisees, said unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing a divorcement and to put her away? Verse 8, Jesus saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered, allowed you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. So divorce is a Christian saying, I don't care what God says, I'm going to do what I want to do. Because it's clear that God meant marriage to be forever. So when a person rejects what God says and does what they do, it's a sign of a hardened heart toward God. Let her see. The third reason why a Christian should never seek divorce. The testimony of Jesus Christ is at stake. The testimony of Jesus Christ is at stake. If we go any further, remember a story, situation many years ago, a young lady called the church office, wanted to come to the pastor for counseling. And she came to my office and after finding out who she was like that, she says, Pastor, I'm a Christian, my husband's a Christian, and we're married, but I want a divorce. I said, why? She began to tell me all about her husband. So my husband is selfish, self-centered. He lives for himself and had nothing to do with me, and just an uh, ungodly person, and went on and on and on about her husband. And after I heard all that, and kind of be honest with you, my flesh, you know what my flesh would say? Get rid of the bum. And that's what my flesh said. But my job was not to tell her what my flesh said. My job was to tell her what the Bible says. And I shared with her what I just shared with you. Your marriage is a covenant with God. Remember what you told God when you got married? Have you forgotten that? And so on, I went over and that she should do anything to make it work. Then she said this, Pastor, I'm miserable. Doesn't God want me to be happy? And I said this, yes, God wants us to be happy. But happiness does not come from doing what we want to do. Happiness comes to obedience, submission, and trust in God. And God would have you to stick this out. And your job is to submit, to obey him. My friend, true happiness is found centered in the will of God. And so it may not come right away, but true happiness comes by obeying what God says. How many believe that? That's what the scripture teaches. And so I said, what you need to do is purpose to make this work and do everything you can, asking for God's grace and God's help and not uh, divorce your spouse. 
because I said the testimony of Jesus Christ is at stake. What do you mean? As Christians, one thing we enjoy doing and have the pleasure of doing, letting know the world how wonderful our God is, how great our God is, how merciful, compassionate, he's all-knowing, all-omnipotent God. He can do anything. How many believe God can do anything? And yet we give that witness to an unsaved person who watches our marriage and ends up in divorce. They have every right to say, if your God can do anything, why couldn't he save your marriage? That's a legitimate question to ask. Is not the Bible true? Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. Is that true about your marriage? Luke 137, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Is that true about your marriage? Jeremiah 32, 17, our Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. The Bible says we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent him in this lost world. And when you and I testify of our wonderful, all-powerful God and do anything, and we end up getting divorced, what are we telling them? God can help me if he can't help me in my marriage. He cannot save that. So the testimony of Jesus Christ is stake. Number four, the fourth reason why a believer should never seek divorce, because the Christian marriage is a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. The Christian marriage is a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. Go with me now to Ephesians, please. Ephesians chapter 5. As a Christian couple, your marriage is a picture to this lost world of the relationship that Jesus Christ has with his church. Philippians, I'm sorry, not Philippians, Ephesians. Can't read my own writing. Ephesians 5, please. Again, as a pastor, I'm trying to share with you what the Bible says about marriage and hope that you're determined I'm going to set out to establish a Bible standard for my marriage. Ephesians 5.31, please. Ephesians 5.31. Here, Paul quotes exactly what Jesus quotes all the way back to Genesis. Ephesians 5.31. For this call shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Then he says this. Interesting. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the what? Look at me, please. Paul had already established a relationship between a husband and wife. He said this, husbands, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. Wives, you're to submit yourself to the husband as the church does unto Christ. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What he's saying here, when the unbeliever watches the marriage between two Christians, he should watch how that husband treats his wife. And learn how much Christ loves the church. Because you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. How you treat her, how you speak to her, like that. They should learn just how much Christ loves his church. And wives that are unsafe, you should learn how the church submits itself to Christ. By watching how you submit yourself to your husband. So you are a picture of Christ in the church. Now listen, please. Will Christ ever divorce his church? Never. Even if they're unfaithful to him, he will never divorce us. How many are grateful for that? And so when you divorce, you are preaching false theology because your marriage is a picture to the lost world of Christ's relationship to the church. Go with me now to Hebrews 13. 
God promised, Christ promised, that he would never leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews 13, please. Hebrews 13, verse 4, page 1696, for those using a church Bible. Here's a wonderful promise that Christ made to us, his church, his bride. Hebrews 13, verse 4. Hebrews 13, 4. Notice the context is marriage here. He says in verse 4, Hebrews 13, verse 4, he says, marriage is honorable in all, and the bed, the marriage bed is undefiled. But outside of that, if that whoremongers and adulterers, God will what? Read the next verse. Let your conversation, your lifestyle behavior be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Men don't covet another woman to be your wife. Wives don't covet another man to be your husband. Be content what you have. Why? Read the rest of the verse. It says, for he has said, I will never leave thee, nor what? What a promise. What a promise we have as believers in Christ, as the bride of Christ. And he said the word never. The word never is a double negative. You know what it means? I will never, in no case, in no situation, not ever, never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Wow! No matter what you do as a child of God, he will never forsake you. And so my marriage to my wife should be a picture of that. That I should never, no, for no reason whatsoever, leave my wife and to forsake her, but Christ went with me. So those of you that believe uh, uh, adultery as a grounds for divorce, you need to ask yourself, would the Lord uh, uh, divorce you if you become unfaithful to him? The answer, he will not. And your marriage is a picture to the world of that. May we give the right picture, not a false theology. Lastly, lastly, the fifth reason why you should never seek divorce as a Christian couple because of God's view of divorce. Because of God's view of divorce. If you would please go with me back to Malachi. Or I'll just read it to you. Malachi chapter 2 again. Page 1336. Malachi chapter 2. Give you two things that express God's view of divorce. Someone says, our view of divorce should be the same thing as God's view. We should take up his view on the things of life including that of marriage and divorce, how true that is. The first of all, God's view, divorce, he says, is a treacherous act against one's spouse. Is a treacherous act against one's spouse. He says it twice, verse 14 and verse 15. Look at it with me, please. Yeah, you say, wherefore, or why? Because the Lord has been a witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt, what? Treacherously, verse 15. And did he not make one? Yet he had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one to much a one in Christ now, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. So he talks about divorce as a treacherous act. Another view of God towards marriage, towards divorce, in verse 16, God hates divorce. God hates divorce. Verse 16. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth, there's that term, putting away. Putting away. It means divorce. Now look up here, please, and we'll wrap it up. Why does God hate divorce? 
course, it's contrary to his original plan to establish a marriage in the book of Genesis. But God knows the hurt, the pain, the suffering, the sorrow that divorce brings. And many of you know that by experience. He knows that. He knows what it does to people, and he hates that. So he desires that you, for permanency in your marriage. So let's summarize this. Let me give you a biblical standard. Remember I talked about this, and I'll wrap it up. My, I encourage you as a Christian couple, especially those who are married, you may have done things in the past that was not according to God's word. You can't change that. You can't undo what was done. But you can, from this time forward, seek to establish a biblical standard for your life, for your marriage, and, and for your family. And here's the standard we saw today, and we'll wrap it up with this. First of all, God said when God instituted marriage, it was one man, one woman for life. Next. The only grounds that, of divorce that Jesus taught was adultery during the Jewish betrothal period, but for the Gentiles, there was no grounds. Next. The Apostle Paul taught, if you are divorced and now unmarried, you are to remain unmarried or be reconciled to your spouse. Next. He taught, if you are married to an unbeliever, do not seek divorce. There's a greater chance that the unbelieving spouse and children may uh, be saved by remaining married. Then lastly, as for remarriage, the only clear reason in the Bible and Scripture is the death of the spouse. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if the husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. Other times, talk about during divorce, you're free, but it did not say anything about remarriage. But here it clearly says you have the right to remarry if your spouse dies. That's the biblical standard for marriage. So Christian, I want to encourage you to adopt biblical standard for your marriage. That you're set out to build a Christian home and do what the Bible says. Hard times may come. Maybe they're right there right now. Two sinners cannot live together without having problems. But if their purpose determined together, we're going to make come, no matter what happens, we're going to make this work. If we have problems, get counseling, get help, we're going to make this work and make this marriage work. Do everything we can to make it work. That's God's desire. And I encourage you to do that. Now, look at me, please. We'll wrap it up. Today, I've been talking to Christians, for those of you that know Christ, and trying to help you understand the truth about marriage and about divorce. Help you understand what the Bible says. I encourage you to set out to build a Bible standard for your marriage. But if you're here today and you're not certain that you're a Christian, you're not certain you have a home in heaven, let me share quickly with you, then we're going to close with a word of prayer. You know, the Bible tells us God wants us to spend eternity with him, that God loves you. He loved you so much, he sent his son to die for you. Why would Jesus have to die for us? The reason why the Bible says we're all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because we've sinned, God declared a penalty, a punishment for sin. He said the wages of your sin is death. And the only way you can ever pay for your own sin is by dying and going to a place called hell. And the Bible says you can do nothing to save yourself. Your works, your conduct, behavior will not save you. It gets you to heaven. But God... <laughs> In his mercy, his grace, compassion, loved you in spite of your sin and provided a substitute. He sent his son to this earth to pay the penalty for you. 
The wages of sin is what? Death. What did Christ do on the cross? Died. Who did he die for? Us. He died in our place. He paid for our sin, was buried, and rose again. And God the Father offers you eternal life, forgiveness, a home in heaven at the expense of his son. Through what his son did for you in his death, the burial, and resurrection, God said, I'll forgive you and give you eternal life. Your part is to believe, to trust, to rely upon Christ as your Savior. And the moment you do that, God will forgive you and give you eternal life. So if you never trusted Christ, we encourage you to do that today. But I'm going to ask, and we're going to close with a hymn. I want to make this an invitation hymn. We've covered the last two weeks the biblical standard for marriage. And I want to invitation hymn to anyone who would like to maybe come forward, to come with a spouse or a single, however you may come, to come and to dedicate yourself to a biblical standard for your marriage. And you want to come as a couple. Say, I'd like to renew myself to God's standard. No matter what's happened in your past, I want from this day forward, I want God's word to dictate my way of life. And I, if you want to come, you come. If no one comes, that's up to you. So if Pastor Self comes, we want to close with a hymn. Let's stand together, please. We're going to sing this. As God spoke to you, and this maybe you want to dedicate or rededicate yourself to this marriage relationship in whatever situation that you'll come forward, I want to establish a Bible standard for my life. Why not come with your spouse? Come to the seat, sit down, come to the altar. You come as God leads. And after this, we'll close in prayer. You come as God leads. Trust his word. Trust his word. All God's promises are true. Trust his word when your pathway disappears, when your joy gives way to tears, when you're plagued with doubts and fears. Trust, sing it through once again. Trust his word, oh, trust his word. All God's promises are true. Trust his word. When your pathway disappears, when your joy gives way to tears, when you're plagued with doubts and fears, trust you. Amen. Amen. Roll back to the verse uh, that we have earlier in that. Pastor, are we done? One more stanza. So give us another stanza there, Brother Benji, running the sound for the computer for us back there. During the service, first one, verse 1, Jesus made each star in heaven. We sang it, the opening song. Here we go. Jesus made each star in heaven. He created earth and sea. He's the keeper of all knowledge, what is past and what will be. Yet he offers his great wisdom, so you will not lose your way. 
Like a lamp, it glows every step. It shows you can know His will each day. Trust His Word. Amen. Trust His Word. All God's promises are true. Trust His Word. When your pathway disappears, when your joy gives way to tears, when you're plagued with doubts and fears, trust His Word. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. God bless you. We had several come this morning and want to dedicate themselves to God's standard for their life and marriage. Amen. I had one gentleman come who had been married for how many years? 63 years. And said, I'm determined to stick it out. <laughs> what a testimony. God bless you. <laughs> we had two couples come, just want to dedicate themselves to God's standard. God bless. I know many of the others did. You didn't come forward. That's not necessary to establish that standard for your marriage. I just pray that you do. Come back tonight. God bless you all this morning. Come back tonight. We're having this uh, after the service. We're going to have a service in here at 6. It's going to be a shorter service than normal. Then go out to the gymnasium at the Family Life Center for a luau, Hawaiian luau. You're welcome to come dress casual tonight because we're going to go out there and, and to the service afterwards. We're going to have fun. They're going to have all the food for you. Have a lot of fun and fellowship, some games. So please join us tonight after the evening service out there. So come to the service first then yep. go back out there. Okay? God bless you. Bless yourself. Would you close this in prayer, please? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer, but I want to say um, it, it's been a joy to watch um, Bill and Georgia Ecton keep their marriage vows in better and in wor- better for, for worse, in sickness and in health. Bill, thank you for your testimony. Love you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this message today so foundational to not just our families, but to society, to the testimony of you, Lord, in Lando Lakes. Pasco County, this region, to people who know us, Lord, I pray that you would uh, enable us by your spirit to love one another, to forgive, to uh, uh, cling to your promises, to trust your word. In Jesus' name, amen.